Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 1 through 7, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 1 through 9, the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 29 through 42, and Psalm 40, verse 1 through 12. God, grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm wondering today if you've ever had a crush on anyone. No hands are needed. It's so amazing when you have a crush on someone, when you see them and you get all lit up inside and you have this feeling of warmth and excitement just to see them. It's exciting just to notice them. And oh my goodness, if they notice you, your heart leaps. One of the most amazing things about crushes is how it's better off if you don't get to know them at all. (laughs) As long as someone remains sort of a mystery and out there in the beyond, you can idealize them, you can think all sorts of things, they can be all sorts of things for you. Maybe they've just been just attractive enough to catch your eye, and maybe you learn a couple of things about them, their name, which immediately seems exotic to you, even if it's a name that 20 people you already know have. Just a couple other details, and you can start to fill in this imaginary person and their life and what it might be if the two of you could actually know each other. You know, of course, what happens when you get to know uh, a person you have a crush on. It is the best and fastest way to cure the crush is to get to know them better. Maybe it's not a romantic crush. It could be a professional crush, someone you've admired for a long time, someone whose accomplishments you've seen from afar and you've thought to yourself, I want to be that kind of rock star in my profession. I want to be like them. And that's where that old maxim comes in, Never meet your heroes. Not because your crush or your hero or the one you admire from afar is actually disappointing in their being. It's just that they're disappointing because they're actually people and not just your idea of what a person could be. You've built up the perfect complement to yourself And then you're confronted with the reality of their humanity, and it can be crushing. I am thinking today about our dear friend John the Baptist and the crush he has on Jesus. He is so excited to herald who Jesus is and what Jesus means for this world. And by God, he's right. He sees Jesus and he goes, look, there he is. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And sure enough, this is true about Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist's work is powerful because it shows other people the beauty and the power of who Jesus is. It points to who Jesus is. It's amazing because John the Baptist has all of this authority and has, he's this person that people are looking to for teaching. And then he goes, you think I'm impressive? Look! 
There's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm unfit to untie the thong of his sandal. And then he does this whole poetic, the one who comes after me is before, uh, better than me because he was before me. And you can just, do you like him, I guess, John? We get it. And it's very beautiful, except then we even have in our reading the very next day, Jesus shows up again. And instead of John being like, hey, Jesus, that was really cool with the baptism and the dove and all that, John goes, look, he does it again. There he is. And you can kind of feel Jesus being like, keep it cool, John. Like, I get it. It's great, right? John and Jesus, if you read the texts, never quite connect. Uh, they never spend a lot of time together in the texts that we have. There's even a point in one of the other Gospels where some of John's disciples come up to Jesus later and go, we've seen you work, and are you sure you're the Messiah? Which is that moment when the crush becomes a real person, right? But what's powerful in our reading today is not just that John is able to recognize the beauty and the power of Jesus and who Jesus is and represents. He does do that, but what's amazing is that those who are following him, following John at first, are not content to admire Jesus from afar. They're not content to be fans of Jesus or follow the guy who thinks Jesus is really cool. They immediately go to Jesus. They go directly to Jesus and they forsake any kind of idealization and they want to humanize him immediately. They walk up to him and he says, what do you want? What do you seek? And their question is fascinating and telling. They say, where are you staying? Where do you live? We want to see your house. Let's, get, let's cut past the niceties. Are you like a Hyde Park person? Or more of a Mount Lookout person, which is very different. Like, did you cross the levee to get here, Jesus? Like, where do you live? Let's see it. Right? And what I love is Jesus' response. He doesn't say, yeah, no, obviously, Hyde Park, of course. He doesn't do that, right? Jesus says, come and see. What do you seek? We want to see where you live. Well, come and see it. And what we have in this moment is actually a breaking down of any kind of distant admiring admiration, any kind of sort of crushing or any of those sorts of idealizations, and we have people getting to the meat of it. You want to see what this is about, what I am about, come and I will show you. Throughout this time that we call Epiphany, the readings are centered on what is revealed about Jesus. Throughout this time between Christmas and Lent, we have all these readings and they show us what, is, what do we know is true about Jesus? And perhaps what we're supposed to take away from the reading today is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is true and it is right and I love it and I hope you hold it in your heart. But what I find more fascinating is not just that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is what Jesus does with that. They could have said... Where do you dwell? And he could have said, in a place you couldn't imagine, follow me for more tips. I'm leading a seminar next week. It's five days, it's an intensive, but you will be a better person when it is over. But instead, Jesus says, come and see. 
And in that moment, Jesus invites them, invites us who would follow him into a deep relationship of connection and intimacy. This is a theme throughout John's gospel. I'm going to get just a little Greek uh, nerdy with you for a moment here because the word that Jesus used, I always get it wrong when I read it. Let me get it right here. When they say, what are you looking for? He says, what are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? That word staying in Greek is another word that can also mean where, are you, where do you dwell or where do you remain? Or later on in this same gospel, it's the same word and it's translated abide. As in we hear this in a lot of wedding sermons, in a lot of wedding and funeral readings, Jesus saying abide in me. Make your home, make your dwelling, remain with me. And Jesus says, remain, make your home and dwell with me. Abide in love, abide in my love. And then you know what it's like to live with God. The invitation Jesus makes today is a response to that. Where do you dwell? What is your dwelling place like? Jesus, where do you remain? And Jesus says, I will show you where I live by the way you share life with me. I don't want you to be my fan. I don't want you to admire me. I want us to share lives of love with one another. And then Jesus goes about calling disciples to him. And that is what they do. They share life. This we know. It's very different from our situation we, we wouldn't really like the story in modern times if a teacher invited a bunch of students over to their house. We'd be like, hold on, this story's getting weird. But in Jesus' time, this rabbinical relationship is not just one where a group of students go to a class taught by a teacher. This relationship is one where the way they learn the customs and the heart and the life of their teacher is by sharing life with him. But it goes further. It's not just about their sharing life with Jesus. Jesus does not just call people into one-on-one mentorship. I'm going to spend some very specific time with Peter and give him some assignments, and then I'm going to focus a little bit on John, and then I'll work on James and Andrew. If I have time, I'll get to Judas. We'll see. In reality, what Jesus does is he does not just call people into relationship with him. He calls people into relationship with one another. The following of Jesus is about the creation of community. The following of Jesus is not just about how we individually become better people or even more loving people. The following of Jesus is about the kinds of of communities we create, foster, develop, and nurture. This is what Jesus does. He does not call people individually into salvation. He calls them individually into large relationships, into relationships where they are taught to learn about God through sharing life with one another. I have to wonder for ourselves, are we all just admirers of Jesus? And does this church just foster crushes, secret Jesus admirers? Episcopalians emphasize the secret part. Keep it to yourself, your faith, and your beliefs. 
Go to church quietly, then go about your day and don't seem weird to others. Admire Jesus from afar. Isn't he fascinating? Doesn't he intrigue me? Those teachings sure are difficult sometimes, aren't they? But Jesus is not interested in our admiration. Jesus is not interested in our being fans of his. Jesus is interested in our following. And our following is displayed in the communities of love that we create. Are we Jesus fans or are we Jesus followers? Do we seek to admire him or do we seek to be transformed? Now, I remember a little bit of what it was like to go to church when it wasn't my job. And I'd come on a Sunday and I'd just be there. And I was one of those people that was like, well, you go because you go. That's what you do. You're there. Well, what do you get out of it? I don't know. I'm just here. Don't ask me what I get out of it. But I know that some of you have very specific ideas of why you were a part of this place. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, we're here because we're here. And that's what we do. Don't push it, okay? And I think that's a really beautiful thing. I'm not mocking that. I was one of you. I know some of you are here for the music. And you're here to sing and to listen and to be in, in for that transcendent moment. Some of us are here for the words that we've heard over and over again. To get to say them again and again brings us not only a comfort, but opens our hearts to new kinds of ways of thinking about God. It's a beautiful thing. And some of you are here because you like sermons. I'm not just saying that about myself. You hear Melanie preach, you hear Gary or Joyce preach, and you go, yeah, all right. And people will say, I need something that I can take with me, like a little nugget I can take with me on my way. And all of these things that I'm describing are things that we kind of have and we think of on an individual level, these little ways that we say, I'm a part of church, and here's what it does for me personally in my individual life. But Jesus is not calling us into individual betterment. Jesus is calling us to the creation of communities that make a difference in this world through the love that we live. That is the work we are given to do. And so today, your little nugget, maybe you can take away the thing that you might walk away with and, and sit with is, is my church the thing to which I belong, this community, is it, is it a church that helps me admire Jesus? Or does this place help me to know Jesus for who he is? Is this community of which I'm part something that I can look at from afar and helps me see, sort of think about Jesus from a safe distance? Or does this community transform lives? Not only mine, but the lives of the neighborhood it serves and the people in this world around this place. That is my question for you today. We are here to build a beloved community, a community of love that is meant to transform this world by helping people see their belonging to God, their complete and total and utter belonging to God. This is our shared work. 
Are we thinking right now just about our own individual experience and how we'd like it to be? Or are we thinking about the community and how it can transform this world? What would this church look like? What would our community here, Redeemer, look like if we understood the call that Jesus places upon us not as a call for individual salvation but as a call for the creation and development of a community of love. What would this church mean to you and to this world if we understood that we were being invited not only into the admiration of Jesus, but into the transforming love of Jesus that belongs to us all. In Jesus' name.